We'll go to Philippians chapter 2 for our opening text today. We're going to read Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 7. Paul tells the brethren there, let this mind be in you which also was in was was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it something to be seized or something to be grasped or something to be held on to, something to be pulled to himself, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Let's bow our heads together once again. Father in heaven, we're grateful, Lord, for this time of fellowship. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus every day. And and Lord, I pray that you would deepen our gratitude for him, for his provision, for the blessing that we have and the freedom and the liberty that we have in him. Father, help that be a daily endeavor. But on this day, Lord, when so many mark that day and mark that moment of commemoration, help us to be mindful, Lord, and remember exactly what it was that he made himself in the form of man, made himself like us to a measure, and provided for us what we could not. Bless this word to our hearts this morning. Be glorified, Father, be honored by it in our considerations, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is that time of year that so many commemorate the birth of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I had thought that perhaps it was going to be something of a traditional lesson this morning. Uh, if you were here for the if you were here for the Christmas program last Sunday, I talked about flags for Pete's sake. I was I had old glory I was going to bring up there and stars and stripes and nothing about camels and and you know shepherds and all of the like. And I really expected that that's what it was going to be this morning, but such is not the case. Uh, There's always tonight, we'll see what happens, but uh, this morning something a little bit non-traditional. But that being said, non-traditional, we can turn to Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, and again, remember, remember what so often we consider around this time of year. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, when it says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And so that was how the earthly life began for this man, Jesus. Jesus came in the likeness of men, in the form of a baby. And later on, you know, he was placed in the belly of Mary by the Holy Spirit, made subjects to earthly parents, we can read about further in his story, and then he grew into a man, grew in stature, grew in wisdom, grew maturely in, in physical in, in physicality in his body, uh, like so many well, like so many other little boys do and have done. Jesus was like so many other little boys in that way. But we do know that he was certainly, most certainly, different. Uh, John summed up the difference in Jesus in John chapter one and verse fourteen. He summed up that difference just in this statement here. The Word of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, looked at, saw, observed, witnessed. He saw it with his own eyes. Don't forget that when you read read these Gospels. Recognize that, well, the ones that are written by those with a first-person perspective. When you read Peter, recognize it was a first-person perspective he had. He spoke from experience of having talked to 
heard the voice of the Lord Jesus himself. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John said, and we beheld his glory, looked at it, witnessed it. And he describes it as the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, I saw this glory in this one. And it, this glory was, well, it was a, to use a term that goes around from time to time these days, it was one of one. It was one of one type of glory. It was the glory that could only be found in the only begotten of the Father. And it was replete, complete, full, crammed full. Uh, that, word, that word full there, it, if you look in Strong's Concordance, it speaks to being like a full fishnet, something that's completely packed to where everything's squishing out. Jesus was full of grace. He was replete with grace. He was the embodiment of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, he said. Jesus, when John looked at him and he observed it, he recognized that that's what he was. The only begotten of the Father, completely crammed full and replete with grace and truth. It was his makeup. So we know Jesus was perfect. He was flawless. He was without sin. Uh, You know, in all points tempted as we are. Yet without sin, Hebrews 4 tells us. We understand this, and we say this quite often, and we should say this, and we should consider this quite often, that Jesus was perfect, full of grace and truth, the way, the truth, and the life, all of these things. He was God, absolutely without question. But on that night in Bethlehem, well, God became man, came in the form of mankind. Looked like, well, he didn't look like, like a man in the manger, did he? <laughs> he looked like one of these little ones that we see, not, well, not quite like the toddling ones. Even Kinsley's walking around these days. Maggie, I guess, is the youngest one, isn't she? Uh, she he looked like those babies, a newborn, in the form of a baby just like everybody else, you could say. He grew to be a man, looked like a man, walked and breathed and spoke like a man. That's what he did. He would age like a man until his life was ended. He held a man's likeness. But that's where the thing is different with Jesus. He held a likeness, and if you looked at him, you'd say, that's a man. But that was where the difference came. Was While he looked like a man, his nature was different than ours. There was no old creation in us. He came in the form of flesh, but there was no flesh nature in him. There was no sin in him, as we considered a second ago. In all points, tested as we are, but without sin. There was no splitting. Saints, if you're unfamiliar with the two creations, with the two natures that are in us, born into sin we are. We're, we're born in, with this flesh nature, and as soon as we have the opportunity... Man, to do what our parents tell us not to. As soon as we have the opportunity to be angry without need. As soon as we have the opportunity to push back against the powers that be, we do it as people. We do it as human beings. That's what we do. We learn sin very, very early. We learn sin or how to be, well, serving to the flesh. It's a really kind of a, a, you know, it kind of blows your mind to think about it and get your mind around it. Just how quickly and how capably we find ourselves sinful much sooner than we recognize who Jesus is, much sooner than we recognize those things. That old creation, it's called old not just because it's left behind and and we get a new creation, but because it's old, man. The flesh is old. It's been around from the beginning. Jesus didn't have this flesh nature. He didn't have that old creation. Jesus, the Son of God, was one of one. And it's a good thing that he was, because we needed that perfection. We needed the perfect sacrifice that Jesus was. 
We needed the perfect provision that he gave to do for mankind what mankind absolutely, as we understand, as I trust you understand what mankind could not do for himself. Uh, We can turn to Genesis chapter 1 and start all the way back in the beginning to understand and see that the Lord presented to us the need for this provision, the need for this perfect Son of God, the need for this One who was without flaw, without sin, to pour Himself into a fleshly body as we have and demonstrate the sinless nature that He had to qualify Himself, you you could say, to qualify Himself as the sacrifice that we could not be. Uh, All the way back in the beginning we see the need for that. Because if you think about Adam, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of always has been, you can't say in vogue because that's kind of meaning, eh, it's current, it's hip, it's always been hip to bash on Adam. You know, it just is what it is. Through this one man, sin came into the world. Through that one man, Adam came into the world. I have an idea, I just have the feeling that if Adam recognized at the time what his name would come to <laughs> would come to mean and what it would come to symbolize and and how it is drugged through the mud, you know, even sometimes I believe unnecessarily. Man, Adam would probably be pretty wrecked, wouldn't he? Wouldn't, it be, wouldn't you be crushed if, if people said, well, by, sin, by, it, by Greg, sin entered into the world? <laughs> I'd be crushed, man. It'd be, be a difficult legacy to hold. But that being said, you have to call it what it is. Uh, and Adam was given an opportunity that you and I... Well, you and I weren't given. I think our brother mentioned the gates of Eden just this morning, and that that was the good old days, right? Adam was given a pretty choice little situation, given the opportunity to succeed, given the opportunity to do quite well for himself, and Eve likewise, but I'm going to point at the man today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he was given every opportunity. Perhaps no man given more opportunity than this man, Adam, to be successful in himself. Then God said, let us make man in our image. That's a good place to start. But to whatever measure, he looked like God. He he had a resemblance to God. He had a, a presentation that you could look and say, I see similarity here, and we do too. We're we're fearfully made and all of those uh, that concept is there. We're made and created in his own image to a measure. According to our likeness, God said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. How many people would give their eye teeth to be over all the earth? <laughs> to have authority over well, over everything. At the time there were just two, you know, two people and a bunch of other animals and, and the like, but They were given authority over all the earth, over every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. God created him in his image, created Adam in his shadow. That's what that word can be uh, translated as, created him in his shape. There was ideal circumstances there, Good, good starting ground, a good foundation no carnivores were around, right? That all the creatures were given all the green stuff to eat. He didn't have to worry about natural enemies. He had a helper who was made meat in Eve. Uh, he had the confirmation of hearing God's word right, right then. Speaking to him, you could say, God, God blessed Adam with a good starting point, with all the perfect setting uh, to be profitable for him. 
One simple instruction we understand. Then the Lord God, it says in Genesis 2.15, took the man and put him in the garden, the garden of Eden, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that man was given that great opportunity, this perfect setting, this perfect situation. And one commandment, one commandment, just don't eat that and success will be yours. But what was the problem? The flesh was present. The man was present. And you know what he wasn't? He wasn't the only begotten son of God. He was not God in man. Had the likeness, had the image, did not have that God nature that Jesus himself had. He was in the shadow and shape of God, but he was not God. And Adam failed, and he failed robustly, we understand. Didn't flee the temptation that was presented to him. Introduced death and sin into mankind's very DNA, you could say. Introduced that, and, and well, again, <laughs> drug through the mud, certainly, but he had his hand in things. He brought a great deal of fallout to the man to mankind, to humankind. And we read about that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 14. We see that evidence when Paul says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. He was a picture of Jesus. An imperfect picture, you could say, because what he did was imperfect, certainly. But what we see here is that Man could not live out from Adam all the way to Moses when there was just the simplicity of a single commandment to, to the point when Moses had line after line after line of commandments in the law of Moses. Everything in between. Given conscience to govern. Given human government to govern. Mankind, a whole bunch of figureheads or, or a whole brain trust to try to keep everyone in line and do the right thing and live right and live moral and live just and live all of those things. When given the promise of a nation to come, all of these opportunities given to mankind. And the flesh got in the way. The flesh got in the way and said, it's not enough. It's not, it's not enough to overcome. Well, overcome my desire to, well, to find joy and to find happiness and to find satisfaction in the world. It wasn't enough. And so death reigned from Adam to Moses, even, even when there were provisions there uh, for them to find nearness to God. There could not be righteousness found for themselves. There could not be righteousness built in themselves. There couldn't be salvation won for themselves in themselves. And death reigned. The old creation is just kind of attached to sin. It's fixed to sin. You go walking out of my parents' house or any of these folks that have property. What happens in the summertime when you go walking, trudging through, trudging through the wheat? It's all beautiful. You know, you do the Russell Crowe thing and you put your hand over the grains, you know, and it's all, you know, nice and pretty and all that. And then you get back to the house and we have ticks on you. But uh, ticks aside, you look down, you have those stickers in your socks, right? It's just attached to you. like, where did, I, where did I pick that up? I didn't just reach down and say, you know, here's another one, here's another. I didn't do that. You just walk and it just, whew, it just sticks to you. It just, they are what they are. The old creation and sin are kind of that way. The flesh is that way. Without Jesus' presence, you go walking through the world and it just, it just, it's just attractive to you. And it's attracted to you. And you are attracted to it and it just, it sticks. It is what it is. 
The plowing of the wicked is sin. You can't do anything in the absence of God's will and it not be sin. You're just attached, the flesh is. It just, it is what it is, that old creation. Before you find Jesus and have a new creation, it's the only creation in you. It's the flesh nature that we have. Mankind carries a likeness and an image uh, of God, but could not do what God needed to do because we didn't have that perfect nature within us without him. We needed something more than just to carry his image, just to carry the likeness of God. We needed God to come in the likeness of man. We needed something perfect to come into something that was imperfect to this flesh and do something remarkable. Praise the Lord, Jesus did it. We understand this. Now, I like, uh, I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 25. I didn't expect, you know, a couple weeks ago that I'd be spending time in Genesis pointing out, uh, well, our Christmas lesson, Christmas Eve lesson in Genesis, finding some examples and some illustrations in some places that typically aren't used to point out what Jesus did necessarily. But we see that God laid out throughout Scripture The Old Testament included. We don't go to the Old Testament to create doctrine for us, but it certainly supports the doctrine that we have in this this church age. Uh, We go there and we can look and we can see, well, a picture, an illustration. Genesis chapter 25, an illustration of what Jesus was going to do. Of what Jesus was going to do when he poured himself into the form of mankind. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 5 and consider Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, as as examples of what Jesus did for us. Again, it's not something we look at very often, but I felt led to bring that out this this morning. Jacob and Esau are pictures of that old creation and that new creation. Jacob being a picture of the new creation in us. Esau being a picture of that old creation in us. Two vastly, vastly different people. Uh, vastly different people were Jacob and Esau. Esau, we understand, even naturally speaking, he was one who was man, man of the outdoors, real rough and ready kind of guy, hairy guy. I guess he's all Tom Selleck kind of, you know, you know, just furry, red hair it seems, and went out there and he did a lot of hunting and, and that sort of thing. And Jacob, it says, was a plain man dwelling in tents, plain being the same word that you'll see in Job that describes Job as upright, describes Job as perfect and and righteous. I don't think it was just that Jacob was a mild-mannered man. I think that he had heart for the Lord. Uh, Certainly he didn't do everything right by any means. But Esau was a man who was hated by God, we read later on. And he was hated by God because Esau hated God. Esau didn't have a heart for the Lord and, and his things. Didn't want any part of the things of God. Uh, that I trust perhaps you're familiar with as you read his story. That being said, these two were contentious with each other. Jacob and Esau were contentious and contending with one another to the very beginning. We read about that in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 22. Rebecca being their mother, Rebecca being a picture of you and me, believers, with an old creation and a new creation constantly warring at one another. The new man in Jesus, the old man in our flesh, constantly warring at one another. The children struggled together within her, it says. And she said, if if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. What was her concern? Well, she knew that there was a nation that had been promised through Abraham, her father-in-law. A nation that was promised to go through Isaac and through her seed. And she's like, if everything's well... And this nation is supposed to take place. This nation is supposed to come from us. From from me. From these, well, one of these children. 
then what's going on here? Why am I this way? Uh, that word there that means struggled together, it means crushed. It means broken. I, I remember, I don't want to get graphic or anything, but I remember knowing that my kids were inside of a belly. You could see elbows, you saw heads, you know, you saw you know, punches and stuff, you know, set a glass of water on, you know, maybe different moms didn't like that sort of thing, but, you know, I enjoyed my kids before they even arrived. I enjoyed them, saying to them, talk to them, all that kind of, all that kind of gooey stuff. I enjoyed it, that sort of thing. This wasn't a pleasant thing for her. She felt like it was, well, it seems painful here. Like she was going to burst, perhaps? Maybe she felt sick? Her insides fell all, felt all Wrong? You ever get bad food? You're like, man, I, I don't know what's going on, but something's not right in here. These were two beings inside. And she says that they were crushing and breaking inside. They were going at it, it seems, and it was a picture of what was to come. A picture of what was to come in us. The new creation, the old creation, constantly, constantly warring at one another. And it was also a picture of what was to come in Christ. Uh, Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23 goes on to say, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two nations, two peoples shall be separated from your body. Two are going to come. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, like a number of different things that were foretold by the Lord, it has a number of different applications. And we understand, certainly, Jacob and Esau did come. Jacob would come and take the blessing from Esau. Jacob would come. Take his birthright, take the birthright from Esau. Esau would sell it to him. And we understand that the line came through Jacob the younger. And through Jacob, and then through Judah, and down through all of the generations till the Messiah would come. The Christ came through Jacob. And whether Esau and his his well his descendants want to, choose to, receive it or not, they are going to serve. All will serve the, the Son of God that came through Jacob. The Lord made good on His promise in that. But we see a different picture there of what's happening in us as God's children. Not just the nations. Let's put the nations aside. Look at the old creation the new creation that's presented here. Esau being the old. Jacob being the new. Battling with one another as I mentioned a moment ago. Battling within the individual believer. We understand what that is, don't we? If you've spent any time seeking the Lord, spent any time desiring and pursuing the Lord, looking at yourself with honesty and sincerity as you come search the Scripture, find out if these things are so, you know who you are. You know what your flesh nature is uh, and what it is to battle those two things within us. Let's turn to Romans chapter 7. Paul is very descriptive, goes on at length and speaks thoroughly about those two natures. Those things that are all that reside within us once we have accepted the Lord Jesus. In Romans 7, he speaks, well, from a personal perspective, I think. He says, I find then a law that evil is present with me. It is. Those stickers are always there. Those, those stickers are always attached to this flesh of mine. Evil is constantly wanting to grab, and my flesh is constantly wanting to grab onto that. Evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. The new creation is always present. The, the new creation is who we are as children of God. But the old creation is still there. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. This body, goodness sake, this flesh constantly 
Not just picking up stickers, but reaching out, wanting to reach out for those stick tights, you might say. I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? A saved man speaking this. A saved man pursuing the highest calling that the Lord had for him. A saved man who was teaching about those bridal things that we are talking about and will be talking about in weeks to come in Sunday school. A saved man who was looking to be fully victorious as we consider on Wednesday nights. This is a man who knew some things. And he says, this is still with me. This this body of death, this wretched man that I am. And despite mankind bearing his image, and despite Paul's bearing the image and likeness to a measure of God, he recognized it wasn't enough. It's not enough in me and in myself. Uh, Without the Lord Jesus and his provision, the flesh would win out. It absolutely would, would completely occupy and consume, if not for the intervention of something greater. If not for the intervention of someone greater we understand as he says in the next verse there i thank god through jesus christ our lord we who were born in the flesh and born in sin and born to failure as david said in psalm 51 brought forth in iniquity and in sin conceived even we needed something more than just to revel in this flesh to overcome this flesh nature. We needed something more than just the likeness in ourselves and the image being created in the image of God. We needed something more than just to carry His likeness. We needed God to come Himself in the likeness of men. And we see that presented in Jacob and Esau as well. If you recall the story of Jacob and Esau, what happened there after time? Esau despised his birthright. Back in Genesis, we'll move to the 27th chapter here. Back in Genesis, you can read as they go on. They get a little bit older. Esau goes out in the fields. He's tired. He comes back. And I'm not going to give my own personal opinion, as I have a number of times from this pulpit, about Esau's true need for food. But he told Jacob that he needed food, and Jacob said, sell me your birthright. And Esau did. What I will say is that he despised his birthright. It says that. He hated it. That's, that's to the measure that he held the esteem for his birthright, was that he sold it. For a bowl of soup, essentially. Uh, Isaac then grew old and, and grew blind. And he was ready to bless Esau, we can, under, we can read about in Genesis. He told Esau, go hunt, go find some meat and prepare it the way I like it. You know, make me, make me this meat the way that you prepare it because I have a real fondness for this. We also understand that Rebecca loved Jacob and she wanted that blessing for him. And so she planned Something She hatched this plan for him to secure that blessing for the one that she loved. And so she moved Jacob. She moved him and said, you need to be proactive. You need to take some action here. And we pick up in Genesis chapter 27 and verse 15. While Esau was gone, while he was out and he was looking for that meat for his dad. It says, Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Now we understand if you consider again Adam's Adam's sin, Adam's fall back in Genesis. You remember that because of that, they recognized that they were naked, right? And what happened then? 
God slew some animals, and they were clothed in those skins. And it's a picture, a picture of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. And that death and blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed and death had to take place in order to cover the sin. It's a picture there that is, that is presented there in Adam. Similarly, we see the same thing here. What happened here? Now, you know Jacob wasn't, he wasn't Jesus. Jacob was an upright man, but he wasn't a flawless man, we understand. He isn't a perfect man. We understand this isn't a perfect picture either. But it is a, per, uh, it is a picture of Jesus nonetheless. He put on this flesh. He put on skins so that he might look like his brother. So he might go in and take that blessing that his brother had no interest in taking. Well, he wanted the he wanted the he wanted the blessing, but he didn't want everything that went with it. Esau despised his birthright. He wanted to pick and choose. He wanted for himself. He wanted what would satisfy himself naturally. I think Jacob wanted something more. And so he made himself to look like that man. Made himself to look like his brother. Made himself hairy on his neck, on the back of his hands. It says that Rebekah gave him Esau's choice clothes. That means his best clothes. Here, put on Esau's nicest robe that he's going to wear when he comes before his dad. And it still smelled, still smelled like Esau. Everything about the flesh. Ah, everything about the flesh is fleshy. You look at it and it's like, ah, it's imperfect, it's flawed. Everything about the flesh, nothing can produce for itself. It doesn't want to do what's right. doesn't want to do what's good. And Jacob came and he had a different spirit than his brother. But he made himself look like his brother so that he might obtain that blessing. Jesus made himself look like us. Our flesh couldn't do anything for itself. Our flesh couldn't save itself. Our flesh couldn't redeem itself. And Jesus came down and put himself into the form of the weakest creature in our human race, a baby. And when he grew up, I said that there was no beauty that we might desire him. I don't believe that he was a handsome man necessarily. I've spoken at length in the past about those elected disadvantages that Jesus set up for himself. He made himself a child of the poor, as we sang a moment ago. He put himself into a family that would have to deliver him into a manger. He put himself into a family that would have to bring two pigeons instead of a a goat or a sheep or a lamb when they came into the temple. He put himself into that situation when he could have put himself anywhere. He could have put himself into the halls of any palace he chose to. But instead, he put himself into all of these disadvantageous places because he wanted to not take all of those things. He wanted to experience what we experience to be tested in all things as we are and yet without sin so he made himself look like the lowliest of us the esau's of us you might say um i appreciate jesus willing to do that you know just in leaving the courts of heaven if you want to get poetic about it and leaving the courts of heaven to come to this rock quite a sacrifice already and so we see him there Coming, emptying himself into the form of man. Himself being the younger, looking like the older. And the older being made subject to him ultimately. Uh, I'll give you one more illustration before we start winding down. One more illustration in the book of Ruth. Demonstration of, uh, well, an Old Testament presentation of Jesus. Oh, his work that he did in coming in the form and likeness of man. In Ruth 4, we can read about... Well, it's the culmination of Ruth's story, uh, her interactions with that man, Boaz. 
Boaz himself being a picture of Jesus. And he, well, he met Ruth, saw Ruth, observed Ruth, loved Ruth, wanted to win Ruth, wanted to redeem her as the custom was. We understand that as we read in Ruth 4, that there was one in that custom and in that culture. Well, there was a process for a widow woman. There was a process if she wanted to have an inheritance laid up for her, if she wanted to have a lineage established for her. Then a nearer, a near kinsman, someone who was related. I won't get into all the details, but someone who was related could provide that means, could provide a lineage for, for that one who wouldn't have had it otherwise. And Boaz wanted to be that redeemer for her. And he was in a position where he was capable of doing that. But there was someone who was closer than he was. There was a nearer kinsman, it says. Someone who was in a position to do the same thing and was closer to her. A a nearer relative, you might say. And Boaz wasn't given right out of the gates the authority to bless her according to the law. To redeem her and to provide for her and marry her outright and all of these things. The kinsman was nearer to her naturally. Very much as our flesh is near to us from birth. Nearer to us naturally before we even know Jesus. The flesh is there and it's present as soon as we come. And we grab on to that flesh as soon as we have the opportunity. Very much like this nearer kinsman. Uh, This kinsman here, we read who he was and what his interests were. In Ruth chapter 4 and verse 6, when Boaz comes and says, listen, there's this woman Ruth, and she has an inheritance, she's a widow, and you are the one that's given to redeem her. And if you're going to do this, you have to understand that if you're going to take on this inheritance, you have to take the woman as well. The close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Just getting right to it. I can't redeem it. He had intended to. He wanted to until he recognized all of the things that were involved. And he said, no, nope, I can't do that. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He said, I don't don't want to wreck things for myself here. I can't redeem this one. And so what he ended up being for her was of no profit. He was of no benefit to her, that nearer kinsman. Was no benefit to her, didn't give her anything. He says, for the sake of my own goods, uh, I'm going to, sorry, you know, tip of the cap. You take, you take care of this, he said to Boaz. Our flesh is of no profit to us, right? That's Bible. John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Our flesh profits nothing to us. Our old creation profits us nothing. Your flesh might look nice. You might be a handsome fellow. You might be a beautiful woman. Your flesh doesn't profit you anything. It's anything that is good in you. In me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing, but thank the Lord. Within, deeper still than the flesh, that new creation lives. That new creation is present. That new creation is being renewed day by day as we go to the Lord, as we go to His Word. The flesh profits nothing, but Jesus profits everything. Uh, We needed something more than just to carry the likeness of God. We needed something more than just to carry the form of God. We needed God to come in the likeness of man and provide. We needed him to do that. And so, because we had that need, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. How? By Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus came. 
We needed him to. We needed God to come in the likeness of man and perfect what we could not. So God took the form and likeness of man. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, who had been present with his Father, did not consider it something to stay with, did not consider it something so important to, to have that, well, that, even that presence for a time, but to have that equality with him, it says, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but instead made himself of no reputation, took those elected disadvantages, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Saints, we were born in the flesh. To a very real measure, we were born with the image and likeness of God. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to be born, well, and to grow up moral, and to grow up ethical, and to grow up just a good guy and a nice guy. And there are plenty of unsaved believers that I, have, I can have a good conversation with, that I think are good neighbors, that I think are just nice people in and of themselves. But ultimately, those ones, if they remain unbelievers, nice isn't enough. That sounds really kind of awful, perhaps. Nice isn't enough because it is so not nice to refuse the provision and salvation of the Lord Jesus. It's not nice. (laughs) He's not willing that any should perish. So you know what he does when he's not willing that something should take place? He makes the provision so that that need not take place. And so, he presents that knowledge to every last one. What about the ones way far where where no guy that looks like you can go talk to them? (laughs) Jesus, man, the Lord finds the way to speak to whomever he will, however he will. He gives opportunity. He's not willing that any should perish. He can speak to your heart directly. How many times did he appear? He appeared before Joshua. (laughs) He appeared in physical bodily form before Abraham. He was a bright light before Saul as Saul was going to Damascus. And sometimes he's just a still small voice speaking to Elijah and saying, what are you doing here? Was there someone that you need to go find Elijah? Yes, he can do that if he wants to. Or he can just sit and speak directly to that heart. What I'm saying is we were born into the flesh, but it wasn't enough. And so God made up that difference. You know, Adam sinned and he could not redeem himself. And he sure couldn't redeem that species that he impacted so, so poorly, I guess you could say. And then Jacob, who was the patriarch to God's children, the very namesake of those ones, that nation that came from him, he couldn't redeem those ones. He couldn't save those ones. He could be a testimony to them, sure. He could be an example to them, sure, but he couldn't do anything for them. He couldn't save himself for Pete's sake. Boaz, man of God, man of valor. You guys in the men's group, he was a Gabor Ha'il. That's what, that's what we talk about, a mighty man of valor. He was a picture of Jesus Christ himself. We don't read anything negative him at all in Ruth. He couldn't even redeem Ruth for himself. There was something standing in the way. We can't do it for ourselves. Never could. Made in the form and in the likeness and in the image of God. Created fearfully and wonderfully. Some of us looking fantastic. Some of us seeming so nice. All of those things. We couldn't do it by ourselves. We needed God, the perfect one, to come down in the form of man and do it for us. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He did. And he shared his nature with those who could not do it for themselves. What the law could not do, how come? In that it was weak through the flesh. God did it. 
Saved a whole race that's willing, if they're willing to receive. Provided for an entire race, past, present, and future. Provided for all of them by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Looking just like us. Looking just as fallible and frail. Looking just as weak. Looking just as worthless, if you want to say it that way. And yet He absolutely was not because He was the God-man, the Son of God. Perfect. And lived that life perfectly. 